On this show, they cover the biggest news stories, give their fact-based opinions, and interview many great people from all over the fruited plains. These stories and experiences are what make up the fabric of this great country. This isn't just any show. This is the Matt and Chan Show. Now, live from Fresno, California, here are your hosts, Matt and Chan. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Matt and Chan Show. We got J-Dubs on today. He's an All-American football player. He played at St. John's, and he's located in Phoenix, Arizona. J-Dubs, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's, been, it's a great privilege to be on and uh, you know, to have the opportunity to talk. Just talk some politics and just talking in general. That's what I love to do. Sweet. Awesome. So, uh, J-Dubs, you want to let the audience know a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story? I know we were kind of talking a little bit about – um, about about you before and just uh, where where you're at now and where you came from, if you wanted to let our audience know. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm Southwest born and raised just about. I mean, I lived a little bit in Montana, but my dad's job, like, we traveled a lot. So um, he was an education consultant for a while, and so uh, we kind of traveled all over the, like, the upper, uh, upper uh, west, like uh, Montana, Wyoming, and stuff like that. But I'm Southwest born and raised, and uh, so that's a little bit about about me, ge- you know, geographically. But uh, you know, and kind of recently for me, uh, politics has been a big driving force in my life. I'm a poli sci major. I'm looking to go to law school, so I'm very heavily involved in in that. Where are you thinking um, for law school? Uh, school school wise. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was looking at ASU and U of A. They have pretty good programs. I'm looking at. I'm, I'm bouncing between either sports or business, hmm. or um, constitutional law. So I'm, I just want to figure out which one I want to do. Uh, I'm kind of leaning towards constitutional law Love at it. this point. Um, and then uh, I'm looking at Gonzaga, uh, University of Saint Thomas, which is my rival at uh, in Minnesota. So for Saint John's University, we are rivals Saint Thomas. Uh, Saint Thomas. So <laughs> it's a little funny, but uh, can't wait. Um, so yeah, uh, those are kind of the schools I'm looking at right now, and you know, just wherever God, you know, wherever God puts me, I'll I'll go. I don't care what school I go to for law as long as I give it my effort and give it my all. So no, that's a, that's incredible. I love I love the drive, and I think that's the perfect answer. I think is God places us in different positions in our life and gives us opportunities that otherwise wouldn't be there and I, and it could be coincidence but i think god god does work in 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 magical ways and and i've seen that in my life this last year so exactly like you said wherever you wherever it is and wherever you feel like it's going to make the most impact i think you'll be in the right spot you'll be in the right spot so awesome so we were talking beforehand and i know you said you played football how was how was playing football at the college level? You said you transferred. I was kind of curious on maybe why why some of the transfers, so many transfers, and and how how you became an All American. Like, what was the journey to get there? Yeah, so um, like I was telling you before the show, uh, football was uh, was the driving force in my life for most mm-hmm. of my life, and it's got me on the right track. It gave me something to focus on. It gave me purpose in my life. Um, young men need purpose in their life, and Football so happened to be that purpose for me, and uh, you know, out of uh, I went to Chandler High School, and uh, I was a two-star recruit, but I ended up going to uh, South Dakota School of Mines and Technology up in Rapid City, and then my head coach left, and I didn't really mesh well with the D-line coach there because I'm a defensive tackle, 
Um, and uh, I just uh, I felt like I needed to leave, so I got in contact with some coaches. Uh, ended up be, being between Northern Arizona University and U of A for walk-ons, and I was going to walk on to NAU, but when I got there, I was enrolled and everything. I was about to get ready for practice. Their uh, doctor didn't clear me medically because of my uh, herniated disc in my back. Hmm. So um, it was it was shocking because my sports spine doctor cleared me. Wow. So speaking of how uh, how things work sometimes, and you know, it's just there's no control. I had no control over it. So you know, I you don't have control of a lot of things in your life. So and that was one of those situations where I didn't have a lot of control on. Um, and you know, I it was either at that point because of the transfer rules in NCAA which a lot of them are unfortunate, but NCAA is another topic for a different time. Um, I could only go either JUCO or uh, D3. So I transferred from, I already had to set out a year from transferring from D2 to D1, so I used my redshirt year. Mm-hmm. So I burned that just to be told nonsense in my opinion. So um, my dad randomly texted me when I was at work because I bounced at a bar at NAU, which is in Flagstaff, Arizona. And, uh, I was just bouncing a bar. My dad texted me saying, "Hey, uh, you know, there's, you know, opportunities in D3. If you just want to, you know, just go that route and not go through all the politics of recruitment again." So I kind of embraced that a little, that thought process a little bit. The next day, I hit up a bunch of coaches, some of my film, all this, that, and the other. And, you know, I got a lot of uh, a lot of feedback and. So I went to Lake Forest from from there. I decided to go to Lake Forest because, you know, I had a, I had some really good programs look at me. St. John's, where I'm at now, was looking at me then. Uh, North Central, who won the national championship, looked at was looking at me. But to me, it was I wanted to help build a program. I wanted to be a part of something that was built that I can help build. That was important to me, and uh, that's the kind of like the leadership um, part of me that uh, that I think I embrace a lot in myself is. You know, I like to I like to help build things within uh, within programs within within young men. Um, so that's why I went to Lake Forest. Um, I ended up leaving Lake Forest, and uh, I it just when I was growing into myself and realizing what I want, I felt Lake Forest wasn't the type of program for me, um, and I wanted to get closer to home. So I go to your backyard at Kalu, at Kalu California Lutheran. Yeah, I don't know if you know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're what they're D three, right? Yeah, they're D three. I think my my buddy's going them. there this year. Yeah, he just signed a contract. My boy Tanner, he's a yeah, he's a pretty good receiver. Hopefully, they he gets some good stuff going on there. But yeah, sorry, continue. Oh, Coach Mack's a great coach, so I'm sure he'll have a great time. Uh, the problem with Cal Lutheran and what forced me out of Cal Lutheran was financials. Mm. So I wanted to get closer to home. I wanted to play football in nice weather. I don't do too well in the cold. Um, you know, I got I get cabin fever. <laughs> I've lived in the cold plenty of times in my life, and I just the cabin fever is a real thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Understandable. I a little bit warm and sunny. Can't go wrong with California. You know, I was there during the borderlines thing, and I was there during the, the day, like a day after, like the whole. It seemed like the whole world was burning because of how horrible the that happened. Hey, J Dubs, I, I just got to mention, you're out in Phoenix now, so California wasn't hot enough for you, so then you had to go to Arizona, right? <laughs> yeah, sure, man. I mean, Arizona, dude, honestly, I don't think Arizona's that bad. 
Yeah, I don't. I'm just, I, I was just there. I was just there about three weeks ago, um, and I was just. It was incredible how hot it was because I had gone a month earlier and to go see President Trump, and I was like, "Man, it's not too bad here. This is like for June. This is fantastic." And then I go back whatever two and a half three weeks ago, and I was like one eighteen, and it was like a hundred at night. I was like, "What is this?" I was like, "Man." Exactly. <laughs> Dude, it's bad. It gets bad during this. I used to, I'm, I used to have full pads out in 118, 119 degrees when I was at Chandler High School. So uh, I, this heat is brutal, but you know it's, you know, I, I honestly think it's worth it because the rest of the year is spring. Yeah, that's so that's what I heard. Nice I heard the entire rest of the year. That's what I, I heard. If you get through three months in Arizona, the rest of the year is fantastic. It's just those three months. Yeah. So it's like go north, get out for three months, and then come back during the, the winter and spring and fall, and then you get a little bit of everything. So it's just like it's nice. So, But, man, awesome. So, yeah, let's get back. I know you were talking about California, Cal Lutheran, and then you were moving from there is where I, I think we were picking up from, right? Yeah, so uh, so Cal, Cal Lutheran, um, talk about a school that price gouges, you know. Um, and, Every school uh, here. It, it's, it's very. It, it's just I couldn't afford it. They, they they would tell me one thing, and by the time I got there, I was stuck in a contract with the school, having to pay seven thousand dollars out of pocket. My family doesn't have that, so we had to uh, really pull a lot of strings together to get me to uh, pay the rest of that semester that the rest of that uh, semester off. Mm-hmm. And then I figured out I can't stay here, so I got to leave. So after the fall semester, because of the financial reasons, um, I left Calvin Thrun. Um That year in football was one of the best years of my life. So I had like uh, had upper sixty tackles. Wow. I, had a, I was a all region. You know, wow, that's fantastic. So it was one of the best years of my life. Yeah, and it's really nice because our facility is right next to the Rams. Oh, During sweet. that time, I was thinking about trying out for uh, a pro day, which we had one because our Rams facility is right there. But um, things change, life changes. Wow, and I'm a Rams fan, by the way, so that's like, I'm like in awe, like, oh my gosh. So, I don't know, no, no, what what team are you, by the way, or team that you support? Um, uh, you know, I'm leaning Cardinals. Okay, sweet. uh, I I figure um, being out in Arizona right now, so. Yeah. Local local team. Yes, sir, I do like the Rams a little bit, um. But, uh, you know, especially I was I told people, I was like, you know, I'll probably support the Rams if they moved to L.A. Because I feel like it's like, like a new team, in a sense. So I was like, that'd be kind of cool. So I, I definitely do uh, have a lot of love for the Rams. Um, so Yeah, no. But, uh, I'll yeah. lean towards the Cardinals. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, no, I, I don't have anything wrong with the Cardinals. I love the Cardinals. I know when they made their run with Kurt Warner. That was such a magical year. Me being a Rams fan, Kurt Warner is like, wow, his season in 99 and 2000, it was like, what? And then when he went to the Cardinals and almost wins another one, I was like, wow. And you, and no, you, you had to be following football. Uh, man, it's just, no, I love the game. And it's so cool that you were able to play all these years. I know it sounds like you had a little bit of a sticky situation with Cal Lutheran trying to get out of there and transfer. And, that, and then Cal Lutheran, that was to St. John's, right? Yeah, so I left from Cal Lutheran to St. John's University. You know, uh, a, a coaching staff that's been, you know, recruiting me for a while. And um, and talk about a culture, you know, uh, for a small school, it's a D1 culture. 
It is. Uh, the Saint, my St. Thomas, uh, John, or Johnny Tommy game is what it's called. Mm-hmm. We had an entire, like, we had a packed stadium because we had our stadium. We had the, we played at, usually they'll play at a Target Field, which is the baseball field, and sometimes that place will be almost packed. Wow. And so, so this year, uh, yeah, this last year, we played at the uh, soccer stadium hmm. that they had, the, pro, the, the brand new pro soccer stadium. Wow. You know, and that was, it was completely packed. It was, it was, sold out completely and that was an amazing experience so it's one of the greatest rivalries in uh in college football is the university of st thomas versus uh st john's university so it's great it was a great experience man definitely it was worth it and um it was the fact i was able to be uh make it all american out of there and is even it's probably the greatest one of the greatest accomplishments in my life Wow, that I and I gotta I gotta say, so you had your All American season. This is your final season, correct? Uh, I just yeah, that was my final season. I'm done now, so I gotta figure out what to do with my life. That's why law school is definitely in my um, crosshairs now. Yeah, no, I I'm I'm just reflecting back because I remember my coach saying, Coach O'Brien in high school. One of the things he always said was, "You never know what day is going to be the last day you're on a football field." So, like, yep. you just – it could be that last practice. It could be the next game, the injury. And and I just remember walking off. I got injured the last few weeks of the season, my high school senior season, and, and I wasn't going to pursue football after after high school. I just didn't didn't feel like it was in the cards. I wish it, wish it would have been because I, I enjoy playing football. I love training. And I think we can both relate. You did these sunny, hot, double-day practices in the summer – you know the work that it takes to be a good football team. Um, and sadly, I wish we would have won more games with our high school. Uh, I, I always look back, but I just remember the brotherhood and just the impact it had on my life as well. So I just think characters built through the sport. I think you don't really get anything if you don't work, work at it. And you got to hit one of the highest parts of the game being an All-American. Very, very few individuals get that each year. And uh, I don't know the exact number on the on the All Americans. I know it's for each division, but that's it's that's a fantastic accomplishment. I just want to congratulate you on that. I really appreciate that, man. And and like I said before, it's uh, probably the greatest accomplishment I, I have to date um, is to make it All American. And um, like like you said, not many people are, have the opportunity to even you know to attempt that. You know, and I cherish it as something that uh. Uh, it represents how much hard how much hard work I put into the sport, and um, it's, it's you know I, I never I never I mean it was like, I thought it was what I was aiming for was the big All American I was like the biggest thing as an individual award as a team award I wanted to win a national championship we almost got there but um, you know as a, as an individual award that's that's the greatest thing I could uh, ever ask for you know and I definitely feel like I deserved it. And, all the hard work I put into it. Well deserved. Definitely. I don't know if you want to go in. I I know how it felt after finishing my last snap, and I still remember very vividly. Do you still remember your last snap as as a St. John's? You, you played D line, right? Yes. Yep. So how how did it feel? I I always like a lot of people don't hear, but I know football players specifically that are done playing always remember their last their last game, just certain aspects of it. I remember how cold it was because we were in Whitewater, Wisconsin, 
Um, I was going against a guy who's probably going to go to the, uh, to the league. Um, they didn't run the ball towards me or near me at all, wow. which was probably the best compliment. That I've is had. the best compliment. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wasn't able to accumulate my stats, you know. Uh, um, and, you know, which to me, it's outside of, I mean, stats are one thing, and it shows your work. But a very underplayed part of um, football is how the offense schemes against your defense. Mm-hmm. We had a tough, we had a tough front seven, you know, and uh, they didn't try to run the middle, and it was it was a great compliment um, to me and my my line, middle linebackers. So yeah, so I mean, I remember that. I remember how cold it was, and I remember uh, I remember the interception that we threw to end our you know our season, and you know uh, so. It was pretty rough. Um, you know, it's still kind of fresh, but like, I didn't even. But to me, it's like it's barely hitting me now. Like it's, you know, I'm not being able to play like a sport that I've played since I was in middle school. You know, so. Yeah, no, I always, I always just, it's always intriguing because I know it's like you end on that and you're so close to a national championship, but having the opportunity to play for that, it's just like, wow, like. Like in football, I, I remember we really didn't have any playoff implications and we didn't have it. But I just remembered it's like, I think the feeling hit me weeks later, I think, is just, wow, I'm never going to put a helmet and football pads on again. Maybe if it's for fun, but like to play a game, I'm never going to do that again unless I do semi-pro or if I go and try to start playing again or something. But it's like, man, it's over. And it just kind of hits you and you're like, wow. And I'm lucky enough to be an yeah. athlete at my university right now, a track athlete. I throw, but it's not it's not football. It's not it's not any of the sports that I played: basketball, baseball, golf. It's just football was always so unique. And even though we were kind of like the Cleveland Browns, um, sad to say, there was always that. Like I said before, the brotherhood and just those relationships you make with the guys, and just hitting the field on Friday nights and and uh, and for you Saturdays. I just think it's it's something that you you really do cherish the moments on the field. Like go, looking back, it's like wow, <laughs> I had an opportunity to yeah. do that, and especially your accomplishment of being an All American. So I just like I said, I once more I got to congratulate you on that honor because that's like I said, not everybody gets to do that. And you said it's your it's one of your greatest accomplishments in your life, J Dub. If you're if you were an All American, you got a lot more big things coming your way. I think, and you're gonna do big things, man. I appreciate that, and I, and I hope so. That's what uh, I got transition. Um, I got transition. Transition a lot of the things I've learned from football into my life now, and I don't think that's been very hard recently. Though it is hard to it's like Dan, dude. You know, I told my dad a few times, and like, you know, right during this time right now, I'm preparing to play the, one of the most dangerous sports on the planet. Ever, you know, and I'm not. I'm not doing that anymore. So it's like. I got. I got to get. I got to pick myself up. I got to figure out what else I need to do. You know, and core team has not helped. You know, so uh, we're trying to. You know, I'm trying to figure out what the next steps are, and I'm. I'll find. I'll find it. I always figure out the way. Yeah. So I'm excited. Um, Dude, I'm excited to see what you do because I'm like because all Americans are not an easy feat. It's not something if for the sports fans listening to the show. It's it's that's a that's a feat right there. That is like select few that you made such an impact for your team and to be recognized out of many colleges at the level. Cause it's, I think it's a small percentage of people that play NCAA sports. And I'm lucky to say that I'm competing in NCAA sports. You've, you've competed in NCAA. It's just like, wow, there's only a certain percentage of college students that actually do it. So it's some big things, man. <laughs> yes, sir. 
Awesome. So let's get into more of the politics side of it. I know political science, um, and I've heard other interviews with you. Um, I listened to the one that you sent me. And so what what got you into politics, political science of all things? Kind of interesting to hear that or intrigued a little hear, about hearing that. Yeah, the funny thing is I was just thinking about this. I, I always randomly think about when did I really start liking politics, you know? I remember, like, pretending I knew anything about politics when uh, McCain and Obama were running, you know? So but I didn't know anything then, but I was, like, the first time I was actually more, like, a, a, you know, aware. Mm-hmm. But even but even if I go back a little bit further, I remember hearing all the, the commercials in the car when I was a kid when John Kerry was running, Yep. you know? But it wasn't anything more than that because my parents aren't very politically they're active they, they vote but um you know they've always been if you want to know people who are a silent majority of them are my parents hmm. you know that um, they're definitely the silent majority and they both have voted for different candidates every time so my, my dad and my mom voted for obama in 2008 you know so uh i come from uh you know a very uh like a fluid political background you know um so and, you know, and they changed their votes. My mom didn't vote in 20. She chose not to vote in 2012. And my dad voted for Romney in 2012. You know, so it, he actually changed. My dad was a big Bill Clinton guy until, until the uh, 2016 election when he put all that stuff started to come out about Bill. And then my dad was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know any of this type of stuff. And he, he dug deep on his own. He started getting a little bit more into the news. And I feel like I'm part of the blame on that because every time I come home, I, I, I turn the news on or I show my dad a podcast and, you know, he's, he seems like he's a lot more involved now than he was then, but maybe I could be wrong. But, yeah, that's kind of my background a little bit with family-wise. Um, for me, my sister, uh, she noticed how in-depth I was in, in uh, politics, and she's a history major out of uh, New Mexico State, and she was telling me that I should consider changing my major from psychology to politics. So um, I did that. I did just that, but I added it. I didn't. I didn't get rid of my uh, my psychology until I got to St. John's because I found out I wouldn't be able to graduate in time if I do a double major here because all the transferring. Hmm. So I stuck. Uh, so yeah. So I stuck with, um, you know, my politics curriculum in the past. It's probably four years now. So most of the time, cause I transferred a lot, so I have like a I had an extra two semesters in there. You know, I've been really into politics. I've been very politically active. Um, I talked about in that podcast I sent you that I told them, you know, um, this has been a development for me politics-wise and um, in figuring out um, how important politics really is. And the the more important politics becomes to you, the less emotional you get about politics. You know, I was more of very emotional in 2015, 2016, 2017. But as I kind of grew up a little bit, which is what people need to do in our generation is grow up a little bit and to kind of look and read curriculum um, and look and read into books um, and listen to multiple different people. It's okay if you want to listen to mostly left-leaning things or right-leaning things, but at least get a different perspective of all the different types of people. So that's what I did. And to me, I started to develop my, my political identity. And then I ended up having a uh, we we joke about it, but we think one of our professors, um, he he's a closeted Republican. So we joke about that at St. John's. We joke about that. 
And, uh, but he's the best professor I ever had because he actually taught objectively about uh, policy and, uh, and philosophy. No, it was a, yeah, it was a political uh, theory class I took with him. And it really brought me perspective. Yeah, no, how I, well he taught that. Those certain professors, I think it's, it's really unique now and really special if you have somebody that teaches objectively and, and you need that because that's how you develop your, like you said, your political positions and your political identity. And, and then that's a, it's a great thing because like you said, with the curriculum, it could be one way or the other and you don't learn about the other side. I think that's a big issue we see now in the curriculum is you learn all about about this side and then you're like, okay, well, what's the other side? Oh, we're not going to talk about it. And you're like, huh? Um, and no, I'm looking forward to it because I'm finishing my political science degree at uh, Fresno Pacific. And I know one of the classes, I know it's like the political theory class that's coming up. And I'm excited to take it because the professor's excellent. And I think he's going to be very similar to what you just talked about right now. And I can't wait. So, yeah, no, continue on talking. I'm, I'm really intrigued by this right now, just kind of figuring out, like, your political journey. It's it's really interesting. We all have it, you know. and. But the thing is, it's really up to us as an individual to when do we start to mold it and form it. Um, I forgot the guy's name, but I listened to a professor talk in an interview talking about uh, kind of the state of our youth in, within education and, and, and indoctrination. It's really, it's really easy to indoctrinate people when you have control of academia into what, and you know, and it's more becomes preaching instead of teaching. They're two different things, Amen. right? So. Yep. Um, the guy talked about it's really hard to, to get adults to unlearn things. You know, we're adults, we're in college. It's really hard to get people to unlearn things. Like they, even if you tell them, you know, you know this is that, that's not true. It's not real. <laughs> they'll still, I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody like I, your friend. No, I, I, I think it's like, the, the confirmation bias and the stuff that they, okay, yeah, they hear it over and over and over again. And like you said, You'll be talking to somebody, and it doesn't matter. Jordan Peterson, I think, articulates it best. You can give him, you can give them every single fact and evidence, but once they are so like that is what they believe, and they are firm, and I think that's the thing is you got people got to think for themselves. And I talked about that with No Ring this morning, and and that's a big thing. And it's like, oh, you can hear hear this. No, no, it's a lie. That's a liar. They won't believe it. So I get what you're talking about. Yeah, that's it's it's a big problem. <laughs> It really is, and it, and it destroys dialogue that you can have, mm-hmm. you know, and then it makes everybody super hostile, you know, and then you have this resentment towards each other, you, you know, and, and you don't want and that. I felt that you, you don't want that, and the thing is, all of us are starting to feel that resentment, all, almost all of us, and it's getting to that point, I feel that it. division, that, that, that line that's being drawn, Yep. you know, like it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and... And it's like like that professor was saying, it's hard to unlearn that, uh, unlearn the things that we all have to do. Because this is an ideological drift. So um, I was writing something today on Twitter. I treat Twitter like my little political blog. I'm sure you noticed that. But mm-hmm. um, I uh, on my Twitter, I was talking about. I didn't. I don't think I actually sent it. I was just kind of like well, kind of like jotting things down. I put it in my drafts, but. Uh, Right now, people are talking about um, the, this. Uh, our race relations are bad right now, and I and I agree with that. You see a lot of uh, well messed up things happening at in almost all of our institutions, um, coming from both sides. 
uh, mostly the left, in my opinion. But uh, I think this is more of an ideological drift. This is not, and on the surface level, it's hiding as it's hiding as a racial drift, right? So, like BLM, for example, an organization that's a Marxist organization that was existed before Trump, and they had their platform. I read their platform in 2015, 2016 when they came out. I remember reading that. It's a Marxist group, yep. but they hide behind this simple name, Black Lives Matter. And if you or I say, oh, well, I don't support that group, you don't support black lives? Oh, my God, no. That's not what I said, but it's automatic. So they're hiding, and that's, that's an ideo- that's an ideolo- ideologically driven organization, okay? And, and they're hiding it behind racial tensions. I, uh, I always forget the name of the author, but there's a, uh, a series of pamphlets that were sent out back in the, I think, the 60s and 70s and stuff um, called The Crusader. And it talks about, it, it literally talks about how to, how to uh, pinpoint America's, uh, the, what's, what's our underbelly? And it's racism, it's race relations. If we keep on poking that, if we use, somehow utilize that as a way to divide people and to take power through people's pain and suffering and causing tension between peoples, then they're able to put in their agenda. It's a lot easier. It's, it's, uh, I was watching a video on this stuff, and it was really good stuff. It was, it was made back in the, uh, the 70s. I was talking about this. I looked up the pamphlets and everything. It's real. You know, but um, – but back to what I'm getting at is that you see this ideological drift. It's an actual ideological drift. It's not really a race drift because I'm still friends with all, all my friends. I mean, you're from the cities too, dude. So we're friends with everybody. Yep. So it's, it's yeah. a lot different than we're not, we're not from the rural areas. I've lived in the rural areas. Yeah. Uh, okay. And that's... we're not from those areas. We're from, we we're the majority of the population is in the United States, which is like 80, 80% is in the suburbs. And, uh, um, metropolitan areas, right? So, yeah, and I, <laughs> we're all my bad. No, no, no. I I agree with that because people, like you said, it's it's very divisive. And you've read the Communist Manifesto, and and the, and one of the ideas is you want to pit people against each other. You divide people up into classes, and that's what we're seeing with the BLM Incorporated um, and this Marxist group. And I've, I've had people talk to me about this and, and, oh, well, how can you, how can you not support the organization? And it's, it's clear. I, I read their thing and I did an episode probably about a month and a half ago or so. And, and I, I'm like, I'm reading it on their website. Like, I can't support that. I just, I could not do it with my convictions. I just, it's like, no, it's, it goes against everything. And I think you're right. I think when it hides behind that group label and I've talked about it, the Democrats, if I give them props on anything, it's going to be, they're great marketing when they do it. They take a term that is very true. Black lives matter. They do matter, but then they hide it behind the organization. Those ideologies are part of that organization. And when you have the mm-hmm. co-founder coming out, yeah, we're trained Marxists. Oh, what? Yeah. What? And that's still not, most people still don't know about that video. And you can just look it up on YouTube. And I'm like, huh. But I and um, I, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure you're you're familiar with the Overton window. Yep. Yep. So just the shift, the the shift that something that wasn't even a thought 
maybe 10 years ago is all of a sudden mainstream because it's slowly shifted into a popular opinion or, or at least it's confirmed. So, and we're seeing it now and, and you see it. And I, and I hope that we get to a point where we can get back to Socratic dialogue with people like to have those discussions um, in the classroom and among peers. And I, I work at turning point and, and it just have those conversations. <laughs> like let's have, let's have that dialogue so that we can see, okay, how can we help better people's lives without fighting against each other? Cause fighting against each other and being so partisan isn't going to get us anywhere. And there's always going to be partisanship no matter what, but it's like, how do we work past that and get to a common goal, which we're not seeing right now. And you, I think you'd have to agree with that. The common, there's no, it's, it's weird. Everybody's really easy and quick to point fingers. And you probably have those interactions probably on your blog, on Twitter, and in probably real life, I would assume too, um, with the conversations you have. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that with what's going on. Well, Twitter-wise, I had a Twitter account that was uh, had over a thousand, almost a thousand one hundred followers on it. I deleted it wow. about a few months ago after George Floyd and all the alarm stuff started happening because I was sick of stepping on eggshells. I'll make my own place where, and I told everybody on my Twitter, follow me if you care about my dialogue and care what you want to hear what I have to say, um, you know, or, or when I communicate, I'd rather have a Twitter account that's based on, because I want to turn it into my own blog of politics and, and you know, and, and stuff I do at the gym and stuff like that. I wanted, I wanted to turn that into become my own blog, and if people want to enjoy my blog, they can follow me and hear my takes on things and so yeah that's that with the twitter aspect um i don't have as much conflict on my twitter before people just unfollow you they don't want to hear your opinion that's another reason why i deleted that last one it's like i'm tired of going back and unfollowing people that already unfollowed me i'm like dude you i don't care like i'm tired of it like i'll just have my own place where i don't have to worry about your feelings or your opinions in 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 you know like i, I love everybody's opinion i love it but when there's one side that is so much more louder than everybody else and I can't even say things or my friends can't even say things so they're on there just being not it's it just it's toxic it I is be somewhere especially in my twitter where all opinions are they're, they're open it's it's open and it's not toxic you know so that's why I did that um for my twitter just want to point that out um what was the other question you had Oh, I, I think that just we're just talking about bringing back the conversation with people, having that dialogue that I think that's important. Yep, the Socratic. Yep, Socratic dialogue. Um, St. John's, uh, my school, St. John's, is I've been to five schools, like I told you. St. John's has the best Socratic dialogue at any college I've ever been to, um, and it's amazing. Even with, even obviously, most of our political uh, politics department is left leaning, but I've had those those professors know how to run a classroom for the most part. I haven't had any issues. That's great to hear. You know, so uh, it, it is, um, and that's the type of learning and curriculum that St. John instilled at the Catholic uni University. You know, so and you go to Azusa Pacific, correct? No, I go to Fresno Pacific. Okay. So same, same, oh, same, Fresno same Pacific. kind of, same kind of. Uh set up in college it's their their sister schools okay i played azusa when i was at uh i started against azusa when i was playing at d2 
up in uh, South Dakota School of Mines. So I was like, oh, cool. I actually, I wanted high. to, I wanted to go play football there during high school. I was like, man, Azusa would be cool. I, I, I met their team. They helped out at one of the Humulate Christian camps, and I was like, man, Azusa, that'd be kind of cool to play college ball there. So yeah, I was like, man, that school's. I thought it was awesome at the time, and didn't end up going there. But yeah, sorry, continue. Oh yeah, beautiful place. But um, there's, I think there's a lot of that um, private at uh, private universities that do have a like like uh, ran by the Catholic diocese in a way. I've always had when I went to middle school. What saved my life was my dad putting me into a private Catholic school. If there's something about the curriculum that's being taught in these private Catholic institutions, and I'm sure there's other institutions too. I don't know how BYU is. I don't know. You know, but from my experience, some of the best. Um, and that's. Uh, I, I noticed that it's Socratic. It's actual liberal arts teaching. It's actually liberal arts. It's not, you know, not some sort of indoctrination camp. I know people when they when you hear when you, there's some people cringe when you say colleges are these indoctrination camps. That means maybe not all of them, but when you go there and you're not even allowed to say anything, you say something, you get you you're automatically shunned. Like, come on now. You know, talking about some people who talk about. Uh, suppression and oppression, uh, you know, they're a very regressive group of people on these college campuses, and it's all facilitated from the top down. So, um, so there's that. Socratic actually prevents a lot of that from happening, in my opinion, because everyone can talk, you know. Um, so. Yeah, I know. I think yeah, that's, that's the most important thing, and that kind of that kind of leads into my next question, and just uh, in like the scope of the United States and in the, in the world, what do you feel is, is, uh, what would you say is the thing that would make the world a better place today? Like if you could do one thing that could, that could change the world or that you would want to like help push along to make the world a better place. I, I to be honest, I don't, I don't really, I don't know if I have an answer to that. That's a, that's a hard question. And, and you know, maybe some people will say, well, stop world hunger, or they'll say some sort of utopian idea. Um, to me, uh, I think freedom makes things better. You know, mm. um, in, in, at an individual you know, a level, obviously freedoms that are endowed into our Constitution, that are God-given. You know, um, people mesh, these, mesh our uh, individual desires with uh, rights. And um, I don't think that's necessarily true, you know. So uh, we're all a community in this, you know, we're a community in this world. And, um, the, you know, like the community, oh, at the micro level, has its own needs. And if people try, people try to, uh, you know, apply a macro level view on the community, you know, in the United States, for example, if the federal government wants to pass a mandate or a law, you know, that shouldn't attribute to everybody. You know, there's, we have states for that. We have states' rights. We have towns. You know, there's there's so many things that happen at a micro level. And I think the United States has fallen is where we've neglected the local level and we've neglected our communities. And we've uh, taken a lot of that power away from them by instilling horrible education in our within our public schools, not teaching people proper civics, and people don't go out and vote in their local elections. They vote in the federal elections. They think everything federal is more important instead of the very local localities that you live in or where your family lives in or friends. So, you know, that's kind of my thing with the United States. And, uh, you know, with the world, you know, I don't have much trust in uh, 
these international, these unelected bureaucrats throughout the world, like the UN, for example, I, uh, you know, I think they've done some good things or, you know, but, uh, or I would like to see something change with NATO. You know, like there's some things that the world's changing. It's not the same. We're not in, this is post cold war, but we're past the, we're even past that. So, um, I don't think I have any answers for what would help change. I, I honestly think you're, you're right. And I have to allude to the UN speech that Donald Trump gave last year. Um, when he talked about that it's not this next generation isn't isn't a country or the world is not the of the globalists but of patriots and I think freedom that's that's a great answer because that gives the people and the individual like you said God given rights to be able to pursue what they want to do and we need more of that in the world and we see the destruction of socialism in the 20th century we see we've seen this over and over again. And now we're trying to implement those same policies in the United States and drastically change this country for the worse. And these people are given a platform. I don't know if you caught the DNC last night, but you have people like Bernie Sanders. Oh, our democracy is threatened by Donald Trump. And he's pushing for, you know, the policies, all the Medicare for all, the Green New Deal. Um, it's, it, it's like a broken record. That's continu- continually what we see in their policy. And I think freedom's an excellent answer. And that, and that kind of goes into my next thing. Um, when when you think of the United States and America, and it's a popular thing now to hate America, as we've seen the last three months, we've seen flags burned in the streets, we've seen people injured for carrying a flag, wearing MAGA hats, standing for the freedom and the liberties in this country. What What are some of the first things you think of when you think of the United States? Um. I think about the philosophy that was put in that was put into our to the life of this country. You know, you look in the Bible and God breathes air into, you know, Adam, right? Or you know, Adam and Eve, you know, life comes, right? That's exactly what that constitution is to our nation and to our country. Um, it, it's the soul of our country. It's the constitution. No, it's just a paper, but it has a it has a founding principle to it. It's a philosophy. It's freedom. It's a country that instills God-given rights to people, not desires that other individuals have, not perversions. It's basic human rights. And we've never, we haven't always looked up to that. And, you know, you look at the 1619 Project, who even historians left and right have condemned. And now some places want to teach it in their schools. Founding of this country is one of the greatest things that the world has ever seen, and the reason it being is that document, because it's what it's what's protected people's rights. It's what's advanced women's suffrage. It's what advanced uh, civil rights from every single group. It's what it's what, in my opinion, it's what ended the Civil War. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that 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 spirit that people had to crush the tyrannical South. The people who didn't believe in that document, they were crushed, and then a lot of them were freed. So, uh, in white and black in the South, right? There's people that were enslaved mentally and physically, and you know that document instilled that that sense of that sense of pride in our country. And, 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 and when you have neighbors that share that around you, you have people that share that that love for this nation. 
uh, around you and, and want to pursue, you know, progress, not, not progressivism, progress with each other hand in hand, you know, you make a great country. And that's what I think about when I think of the United States is, is everything that our ancestors, you know, no matter the race, religion, creed, any of that, no matter what, is what they've done to make sure all of us can be where we are today. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that have been put into this country. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially in our generation, are stomping all over it. They're not making things better. They're making things worse. They're regressives, not progressives. And things like the 1619 Project should be condemned by every academic, not just the historians that are, you know, who are, that, who are accredited historians, not just random people with history degrees. You know, it needs to be everybody that condemns things that try to seek to divide and distort and destroy Americans in American history and, and what our identity is. You know, so that's kind of that's kind of my take on it. Man, I honestly think that was probably one of the best answers I think I've ever heard. And I think our country could have gone in so many different directions back to when George Washington was going to be ready to be president. At that time period, they were like, hey, you need you can be a king. You can rule this new country, this young country. But one of the all, it's the only country that won a revolution and goes, um, we're going to give the power back to the people. We're going to give it to them. No, not this king, not this king figure that's going to rule everybody. And you said it, blood, sweat, and tears. And you see it every 4th of July. You see it at every time that we celebrate this country. It's like, man, you're getting me a little emotional over here because I'm thinking about all the dedication of our soldiers that have gone overseas and died for the freedoms that we have here. And then you said people are going around and just pretty much stepping on all of that. The, our founding fathers, I don't know, they would have been like, hey, this is this is not what we wanted for people. This is not. And they would have been surprised seeing some of the stuff that's going to be on the ballot this year. This very radicalness of it. And you said it best. It's not progressives. It's regressives. And I think that I think you. Wow, that was just a fantastic answer. I think I've, I've heard a lot of answers on like how great America is and what America has done for people. And I think that was, I guess we got a, man, that was just awesome answer, man. So I want to, I wanted to, to, um, get into some quick fire questions, some just like some just more questions, more about you so people can get to know you a little bit more. I know this has been a great interview so far and we always had it kind of like to do a little quick fire, um, and just kind of to get to know you better. Uh, are you ready, man? Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right, J-Dubs, what's your biggest strength? Um, I guess compassion in my way, you know. I feel like compassion and leadership, probably those two are tied. Sweet. Favorite football memory? Um, it's tied between uh, though we lost our uh, semifinal game. It's tied between, you know, I'll actually go back to the quarterfinal game where we beat Wheaton, a very tough team. Um, that's tied between us uh, crushing Wheaton and moving on to the semifinals by one point because their center decided to spike a ball <laughs> and so when he, cause they ran him as a fullback crazy and then tied between <laughs> that moment and uh, winning my state championship in high school wow that's that's incredible I love that <laughs> um, <laughs> what is something that you hope people notice most about you um, I guess when it comes to me is that uh, 
my passion, I, I believe my passion's in the right, is it's, it's aimed in the right direction. And um, I, I'm definitely not a partisan when it comes to things. I have a very open mind. So, um, you know, I guess when it comes to that type of stuff, I, I'm very open-minded. There's some things that none of us will budge on, things that require, that are about moral, about, you know, our individual morals, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the way we see things, but you know, for the most part, uh, I, I, I'm I'm willing to keep my my ears open and discuss things with people, no matter who they are. Anyways, you can't really have common, uh, you can't really talk with communists very well. Yeah. Uh, other than that, they don't want to talk with us. So. Yep. Well, uh, yep. That's so. exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, you, you can, but they're not going to be very receptive to the conversation at all. Okay. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of goes into the next thing. What's your absolute number one biggest pet peeve? Uh, I I think it's I, I think that it's it has to be these it's the, it's these communist idiots on Twitter. I, I think they they've they've made it. It used to be, you know, like some OCD things, right? Like people who don't wash their damn dishes before they put them in the dishwasher, right? Or cluttered dishes in the sink. It used to be that. But it's gotten to the point, man. If I look at that on Twitter, bro, it's it's just these these hate filled people. These people who are cheering on the death of a of our president's brother is insane. You know, it's these people who constantly feed the airwaves constantly. You know, it's like a CNN is just everywhere. Golly, right? Yeah. But yeah, those are the few things. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd have to agree. That's probably one of mine as well. It's it's like you said, it's one side and one side only. And and if you don't agree, we're, we're shutting you down 100%. So, I, yeah, that that is <laughs> that has to be one of my biggest pet peeves as well. All right, and then my last question for quick fire. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, I think the best piece of advice I've ever been given is that, um, you know, uh, what, what, it comes from a song that our coach used to tell us all the time when I was at uh, Chandler High School. It's a, it's, a, it's a most deaf song. And uh, talking about tomorrow, tomorrow's never promise, you know. So I guess in short, to paraphrase, um, you got you got to treat every day like it's your last. So you need to you know be try to be the best person you can to all to others. We don't always fulfill that, uh, especially for as Christians, as as Christians, um, or or Jews or or Muslims. It's all the same for us. We're Abrahamic faith. Is that you need to apply yourself, hundred try to apply yourself at a hundred percent every day, because you never know when it's your last day. Tomorrow is never promised. So um, that's the biggest thing for me, uh, advice wise. I love that answer. So this is kind of my last question. And I know I've seen it throughout this interview, just like your passion, your work ethic, and what you've done in your life. And I noticed when I saw you on your blog on Twitter, I noticed that you had Genesis 319 in your bio. And for the people that don't know, it's by the sweat of your brow, will you have food to eat until the return to the ground from which you were made? Um, I don't know if you wanted to maybe expand on that and why it's in your bio and what this verse means to you it's a reminder of who we are god brought us from the dust and the dust we shall return uh, you know there's there you know like uh, you know we only have one life and it kind of goes back to what i was saying before um you gotta apply yourself we're only we're made from clay you know or, or dirt right uh, you know and god brought us from that and we will, you know, he, we can return. 
because I think he told that to Eve, that, that right, uh, Genesis, he yeah. said that to, uh, not Eve, my bad, uh, to, well, both Adam and Eve, I believe, Yeah. Um, said that. Um, and it, it's just a reminder to me, as an individual, at least, you know, it's a, it's a, it reminds me where, where I come from, you know, and to have faith. You know, um, Adam and Eve's story is strong, everyone knows about it, about the eating the apple, and it's more than that, it's about faith. Mm. Have faith. Mm. Have faith in yourself and, and, and remember where you're from, you know. So uh, I took that as a very, uh, to me, like I said, but to me as an individual, it, it reminds, it's a reminder for me, um, it's a, you know, so as a Christian. Man, I, I, I love that answer, and I've loved this interview, and I, I think it's great. Like, like you talked about it, you only have one life to live, and you have to remember where you come from and that God has a plan for us, and we have this short time on this earth to make an impact and hopefully for the good and to do something with your life and just to be able to, like I said, you get the blessing just to be, to wake up. And I always remember it's like, Hey, make sure to pray because God didn't forget to wake you up in the morning. That's kind of one of those things that I always try to remember. It's like, Hey, you, you get to, you get to breathe air. You get to, you get to live life and just continue to have the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. So I, I, man, I just, I love that. That's that you have that there and that, Man, that's that's a good reminder for sure. Um, so uh, it is, and, uh, and, and a little bit we're kind of built off of that. It's cynical, right? Some people think some be, people which are so scared of cynicism. You know, people things that are you know cynical in life. You know, they they always want everything to be happy and jolly and stuff like that. But that's not always life. You know, suffering. We're built from our suffering. That's who we are. You know, that's we're built from that. We either we are we're either consumed by it or we grow from it. We consume it or it consumes us. That's life. And in that reminder of, of dust and where we're from, the reminder of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, that reminder, uh, it's important for your, to, you know, at least for me, for my faith and where, what suffering, you know, and the idea of suffering. You know, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, like I said, cynicism, some people give it a hard rap, but sometimes it's good to have a realistic view on, on who we are and where we're from and what life really consists of, what it really consists of. Not, not this utopia, not, you know, you know, like not Plato's Republic. This mm-hmm. is the real deal, the real thing. So, um, I try to keep myself in reality as much as I can. Man, I, I, I love that. So just to conclude, I just I always ask this to all my guests, and it's if you were my shoes, is there something that you would have asked yourself that I didn't? Just to give you that opportunity to maybe talk about something that maybe you wanted to talk about here at the end of the interview. Um, no, uh, I thought you did a great job. I think you you're doing a great job. This is an awesome podcast, so I'm gonna have to start listening to it after this. Uh, yeah, I appreciate um, that, man. But, uh, yeah, I mean, is there anything that you think you missed out at all, or you got all the answers? Man, I to just kind of flip that question back on you. <laughs> I, I I just can't wait to have you back on. I think I I really think that you bring a lot to the table, and what you've what you studied in political science and the hard work ethic that you bring to the table. I think it's like those are great qualities to see in in other people at our age because we see so many people want to take the easy way. It's like okay, what's the 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 path of least resistance? So I just man, I just I just I'm so glad I had you on today, and I'm I can't I, can, I look forward to seeing you on here again. I think it'll be cool, and maybe we'll get more into the policies and the philosophies that we're seeing today, and really dissect that. I think I think that'll be that'll be really cool. 
Yeah, I, I would. I would love to come back on whenever you set me up, dude. Um, definitely, uh, I'd love to be back on your show to talk policies or to answer any questions or anything like that. Any dialogue, it doesn't matter. I'd love to come back on, and you know, especially if you want to do any debates, dude. I'd love to talk to some rhinos out there, bro. You know, they get butt hurt when you when you bring that up on social media. <laughs> We might, we might just have to do that. I like that idea. We need, like, we're like we're we're expanding and growing show, and we're gonna we're gonna start offering some more. We're already doing more content, so I'm I'm really I'm looking forward to that. So J Dubs, is there you want to put out your handle? Do you want to like give out your uh, where people can find you and connect with you? Yeah, I mean, I would love to get as many people as possible who'd like to follow my. Uh, I treat Twitter as my microblog. Twitter is microblogging. At least that's how I view it. Um, and I would love to get people to follow me on Twitter. Uh, um, is it J Dub's blog? How do I not know? Because I think I see the new Twitter. I think I'm pretty sure it's J Dub's blog. I think so. J U B E S blog. Yeah, that's what. blog Yeah, that's. So I love it. Well, awesome, J-Dub. I can't wait to have you back on again. And, man, we'll talk later. Thank you. I'll see you on Twitter, I'm sure. You have a great day, and God bless. Thank you again for the opportunity. Thank you, thank you. All right, we'll talk. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. Crossroads and start feeling mixed signals like Morse code. My soul start to grow colder than the North Pole. I try to focus on the whole of where the torch goes. In the tradition of these legendary sports pros. As far as I can see, I made it to the threshold. Lord knows I waited for this a lifetime. And I'm an icon when I let my light shine. Shine bright as an example of a champion. Taking the advantage, never copping out or canceling. Burn like a chariot. Learn how to carry it. Maverick, always above and beyond. Average fuel to the flame that I train with and travel with. Something in my eyes say I'm so close to having a prize. I realize.